top of the morning to everybody. How are we doing? You guys are basically the most intentional people I know today and moving forward because this is all about being present, taking action, and it's cool. We're on a Friday. A lot of people got to be at work. Uh, a lot of people went out and hit the streets last night after this. There's a lot of excuses we make not to take action. Um, my father was a counselor. He counseled uh, people that suffered from addictions for 25 years. He always told me about how we rationalize and justify Rationalization and justification of non-action is called something called malification. What we have to remember, and I, I carry this every day with me because, you know, you have a father that's a counselor. You're going to have, you know, certain things wear off on you. And it always pissed me off. I ain't rationalizing shit, Dad. Well, you just rationalize. <laughs> Damn it. Malification. So thank you guys for taking action. This is, this is about, a, you know, it's a, I tell everybody it's an intentional lifestyle. It's an international lifestyle a lot of people don't understand yet. But every one of us in this country right now are, is yearning for something different. Who had a tough time during COVID? Psychologically, who did? I mean, let's be honest. Maybe it wasn't that it suffered you because, you know, you didn't get sick or whatever, but think about the prohibition against your own personal self that took place from the type of fear porn that you see on TV every day. That's a prohibition against your spirit, against your, you being able to take action. Hey, man, I don't want to put a mask on. I don't want to have my food delivered to my door. I don't want to live my life through Netflix. I don't want my child basically not knowing how to communicate because he can't see my mouth move. That's a prohibition against you taking action. Well, what is a prohibition of basically going on in the United States right now is a prohibition against the American rancher. Why? Well, it's been going on for a long time, but now we have people that are willing to take action. You probably couldn't do what we're doing right now this morning if we didn't have COVID. If we didn't have this awareness, this awakening that's happening across this nation, this is not random. There's a collective spirit that's going on. And like I said, people are yearning for this lifestyle. They just don't have the on-ramps. They don't have the market access to being, you know, how do I take that first step? How do I actually interject myself into this new lifestyle? I take action every day. I read the labels. Look, it says heart healthy. I'm being very intentional. It says 14 grams of protein. It says no sugar added. I mean, the tricks they play, that suffers our spirits. That suffers us being basically not allowed to be in tune with ourselves. Because what that means, there's a prohibition against basically nutrition. It's that simple. There's been a prohibition against pure animal protein, clean foods, nutrition to our brains, to our hearts, to our minds, to our bodies and our spirits since I've been alive. You know, we talk about 1971 and what happened. Debase the dollar. Boom, right? We de debase the dog. No more gold standard, none of that.
People don't understand that was part of a global industrial food shift. It happened in the 70s. And what happened, if you look at the charts of how the dollar has been debased, and you look at our health as a nation, you look at the children's health of this nation, it's the same damn chart. Kids today that are born in my neighborhood where I was born, they live in a food desert. You think about that. In the United States of America, most of our children are living in a food desert. Who's hit, who's hit the back roads of the United States lately? What do you usually see? Tell me if I'm wrong. I see a Dollar General and I see a convenience store. In that Dollar General, do you know what a Dollar General is? It's the trash can of multinational food waste. That's what's feeding our children, folks. And if you're lucky enough not to have to experience that or to be somebody, basically, a child that is helpless, then you might not know the real effects of it. Well, the real effects of it is something that's going to lead every one of you guys in on the schedule. It says, what is beef intelligence? Let's just ask a question. What is beef intelligence? What is it based off of? What is the source of the seed of the definition of beef intelligence? Just one person. Tell me, what do you think beef intelligence is? Grass. Good answer. Grass. Okay. What's that? Soil. Soil. Yep. Where did basically, whenever we came to the United States and we came and we had our battles, we had our wars, the United States was an oasis. It was an oasis that had been stewarded for thousands of years by millions of animals. Why do you think the whole damn world wanted to come here and farm and ranch? Because we had an oasis that had never been touched. Well, usually whenever the United States does something really well, what they do is they open the doors. You look at pharmaceuticals. How long did the blue pill stay very expensive in the United States of America? Okay. Viagra. Well, they have a patent on that. Well, guess what? Our farmers and ranchers from the very beginning, our ancestors, had a patent on something that was very special. 1971, but a little bit before that, of course, but we'll stick to that date. What we had is our patent was up. We opened the doors and we gave market access to multinational corporations that said, hey, we're going to use this excuse. We're going to use this excuse. We're going to go feed the world. We've got starving. We won the war. Look at us. We're the United States of America. We won the war. We have an obligation to go feed the war or feed the world. Well, we might have distributed some basically some new types of food to people around this planet. But one thing for sure that we accomplished is that we quit feeding our communities. For me growing up in Canyon, Texas, basically having market access to pure animal protein every day of my damn life. <laughs> I drove by my house the other day that I grew up. It's, it was a nice house. It's got a uh, dirt. There's four kids playing out in the front yard where I used to play. Every one of them was obese, and they were like 10, 11 years old. 
it's easy as easy for us to look at this and just I'll discount. I'm going to discount that. I'm not going to allow that into my purview of my spirit. It's just what it is. What we've done, especially in the last 10 years, is we've killed a generation of children. And there's nobody out there doing anything about it because what we've done is we've, through COVID, we've de-basically sensitized death. And everybody's okay with it. Well, I'm not okay with it. You're not okay with it. And that's what matters. This is not a numbers game. You know, we'll get more people trickling in today. But what this is, this is about people ready to take action. Whenever I had my little health scare and everything like that, and you'll see a little bit about that a little bit later on, what, um, what I did is that I said, I'm going to redefine what beef intelligence is. And beef intelligence in this nation has been lost. And it's been basically hijacked, just like our land was. The patent is up. Nobody knows what true beef intelligence is. And we're going to teach every one of anybody that wants to take action to be the new modern-day cattleman. And it's going to be led by the Beef Initiative, not by Texas Slim, but by every producer that comes in there that basically wants to give you market access to what they know. Well, what they know is a form of intelligence that they've stewarded during these times of prohibition. There's a new horizon, and we all individually have to accept that we have to do something. It's not always easy to basically consume the right food. Go into every time. I'm going to live rent-free in your head. Every time you go in the supermarket from here on out, you're going to think of cartoon world because that's what it is. It's 100% cartoon, and you're going to feel guilty. You're going to say, well, I'm a dipshit today because I'm smart shopping at the supermarket. But you won't do that long because you're going to change because you're here right now. You're here for a reason to take action. We have to basically accept that nobody else is going to save us, folks. No politicians, no um, supermarkets, no marketing plan, but we're going to save ourselves. And we started the Beef Initiative with three producers last year. In November of 2021, we had three producers. Today we speak, we have 110 producers. Do you think those producers do not want to talk to you? They want to talk to your community. They want to share their beef intelligence. So today what we're going to do is we're going to get a broad spectrum of what that is. Beef intelligence to each and every one of you is going to be a little bit different. Accept that. Accept that sometimes you're going to want this different type of cow, this type of different taste, this type of different protocol. We're not here to judge. We're not here to basically compete. Ranchers were taught to compete against each other. We're here to save the American rancher. That's it. There's a funnel. There's a, what is the, what is the term, man? The pathway is basically very broad to destruction. Well, we've proven that. The gateway, though, is very narrow. Within the beef industry in the United States right now, it's very broad. And it's very confusing. 
but it takes a little bit to start funneling into that gateway. The beef initiative is that gateway. We've proven it. We're ready to move forward and we're going to come with beef intelligence in every rancher here today that you're going to hear from have fascinating stories from health to changing their lives, to saving their children, to regrowing soil, to it doesn't really matter their intentions, but it's based on beef intelligence. So collectively, you guys enjoy this day. Um, we're going to crack up a little bit. I got all that shit behind me now. I got kind of chucked up. So I get to tell some stories today and uh, we get to share. This is a perfect amount of people to be here today. I wouldn't have it any other way. So thank you. <laughs> Who will feed America? Bill Gates. <laughs> of course he will. Every time we open up our devices and our computers every day, he says, good morning. <laughs> Bill Gates. That's funny. If y'all don't know, Bill Gates is the largest farmland owner in the United States. Why is he doing that? Why? Yeah, but why, what is his why? What do you think it is? Why is Bill Gates doing that? Fewer mouths to feed. Part of it. He doesn't want us to be able to afford farm. Why, what, why, why does he not want to do that? Because if we, if we don't have farmland, you can't live off the land. You're dependent on the system, the supermarket, all their junk food. Exactly. It's prohibition, right? It's a form of prohibition. We live in a, basically a digital age. Um, back in the day, you know, the farmer used to have a voice. Back in the 50s and 60s in the United States of America, he had a voice. He had a voice with his community. His community was like this. It looked just like this. Maybe it was a town hall on a Tuesday night, right? He'd come and he'd talk about, you know, they'd talk about how the livestock was doing. They'd talk about weather, talked about a lot of things. He had a voice. Well, during my lifetime, the computers and the digital age, we suffer from now something called the division of interpersonal communication. We've shut off that voice. The rancher does not even have a voice to his own community anymore. See, that's a prohibition. He doesn't even have a voice to the people that want to be able to eat his food because everybody's stuck on these devices. And I worked in telecommunications and I was a research analyst. And I remember when broadband started going up, okay, you shove more data through that broadband, right? AT&T, I worked for them in the intelligence labs in Austin, Texas, up there at the Arboretum. What we found out is that we have more broadband we're going to divide the family more, more so than it was done in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to get these devices, and we're going to basically create these algorithms, and we're going to deliver content that even divides mom from dad, dad from mom. We're going to divide these children to where they don't know how to go shake a person's hand, look you in the eyes. And so they've been very successful. So by living in the digital age, what we need to do is we need to give the American rancher a voice again. So what we do is we say, like I said last night, where you build out locally and we broadcast globally because we have a digital tool now and we're not going to be part of their algorithm. We're going to be part of our algorithm. So we know in the Beef Initiative, we are a technology company, if you did not know that. 
we don't like to brag about it, but we've got some pretty sound technology. We just in, innovated this year to where a rancher now can actually be paid from you to me, peer to peer, it doesn't go anywhere else. That's technology that's being leveraged in the correct way. It's giving him a voice. There's somebody here that's become a very good friend of mine and somebody that is the beef initiative. And we're gonna have more ranchers up here. We're gonna have the Warrens, of course. And we're going to, first off though, we're gonna have Jason Rick of Rick Ranches. The first conversation that I had with Jason it was magical. And so we're going to share a little bit of that story. And we're going to ask this question right here. Jason, come on up here, brother. Well, thanks, Slim. You're welcome, sir. How was last night? It was fantastic. Live music in Nashville is amazing. <laughs> and the uh, Crown of Coke's load freely so it was fantastic <laughs> he can do that you know why because he works his ass off 24 7 every day well he went in rome you know you have to do as the romans and there you have it i don't get off the ranch that often so i have to enjoy it okay let's start from the beginning all right i talked about community small towns all that kind of stuff let's let's give a history of jason rick real quick okay so i was born and raised in Hotchkiss, Colorado, which is in the same county that I live right now. Did four years in the Marine Corps, came back, went to work in the coal mines, underground 15 years, underground coal miner. Um, fantastic living, um, mining uh, Tesla fuel. So that was a good career. Um, Obama's war on coal effectively put us out of business. So I decided to start ranching full-time. I had been ranching part-time, full-time, and mining part-time, full-time for years before that. We started raising registered Angus bulls and uh, finished our first beef for ourselves, shared it with some friends and family, and that was the beginning of the end. Everyone says, well, why would you sell cattle anywhere else if you can finish them on grass and feed your community? Fast forward till this last November, a mutual friend DM'd me, Slim, on Twitter. And so I sent him my cell phone number and he called me and we talked for two and a half hours knowing nothing about each other at all whatsoever. And as I'm talking to him, I, my thoughts were, this son of a bitch is just crazy enough that I think we really have something happening here, right? And because um, it was a kindred spirit. Everything that he was saying was exactly what I had experienced in my own life as far as nutritional bankruptcy in my community, um, loss of market access to ranchers and farmers across the, the country, let alone across the world, um, the importance of pure animal protein in the diet and, and to try and go against the food pyramid and actually try and feed people where they need to be not where we want to force them to be and, and revigorate that um, small town America. You know, Slim growing up in a small town in Texas, just like me and from a small town in Colorado, we see the Dollar General and the convenience stores, people grocery shopping there and how they have this perpetual decline in health to the point where 
Then we're amputating their toes and their feet from diabetes and all of the problems that go along with it. And what can we do to reverse that? And, um, and then lo and behold, the beef initiative is built out of that, you know, and we've been working together, communicating all over across the country and now broadcasting all over the world and the connections that we've made and the power that we have continuing to build and tap into is, um, it gives me hope that we will be able to survive as a country in rural America and put that value back in our family farms and ranches so the next generation actually still wants to do it. And, and because so much of rural America is dying, whether they're dying of illness or those farmers and ranchers just can't take the stress anymore that they go out to the field and take their own life. And that is crippling this country. I mean, the average age of the American farmer and rancher is 68 years old, right? And it's a lot of hard damn work for not much financial reward. And we have to change that. And that all starts with each and every one of you and your buying habits and how you choose to spend your time and your energy and your dollars. Um, because that's how we make a difference. We cannot regulate success because that's one thing that we've found is bureaucracies do nothing but suck the life out of every industry that they touch. And so, so that's why we do what we do. And we talk to amazing people like all of you all over to help you have the tools necessary for you to make a, a, a real change moving forward. So thank you everyone for coming. Good introduction. And I want to get to where I even tell that story better than Jason's. Because <laughs> I've heard it so many times. If you see my podcast, I like to joke up a little bit. Y'all notice Jason doesn't have a thumb? First time I said, I said, hey, you're a team roper, aren't you? No, I'm a Marine. But uh, a lot of team ropers lose their thumbs. I always tell I lost my pinky, you know, in Japan, the Japanese mafia. I've done that in a couple of boardrooms. They kind of look at me weird, but then I know I got them. So, but we, we, you know, we joke a lot and everything like that. But being in Jason's, you know, on Jason's ranch in that Norfolk Valley in Colorado, it was something that's magical. And once again, everybody, you know, we, we do a pivot in life. We do a, you know, that, that moment of clarity, that awakening that, you know, I talk about a lot. I had a lot of, uh, you know, those moments, you know, throughout the last three years. And whenever, um, you know, I spoke to Jason the first time, it's about two and a half, I think it was three hours, but it's okay. Anyways, it doesn't really matter because it's been a lifetime so far. And one thing that we've, we've come along and Jason just said, we're talking to fascinating people. And everywhere I go, I've met the most fascinating people ever since I've talked to Jason over 13 months ago or 12 months ago, whatever it was. Also, I've met Sean. She's part of the Beef Initiative. She came into the Beef Initiative several, I don't know, 90 days ago, probably about. And she heard basically conversations like Jason and I. And she says, can I 
contribute. And I said, damn right. Anybody can contribute. So Sean, she, she keeps me corralled. I'm a big, he was making fun of me earlier. I got the big dreams. I got all this stuff and I get kind of scattered and stuff like that. But she is an operator. She knows how to basically drive a conversation and get the right answers from the right, right questions. So I'm gonna let Sean lead Jason and I a little bit here. And this will be kind of interactive fun this morning. My first conversation with Sean was the same way. She's Slim says, hey, check this gal out. This is her history. Would you mind talking to her? And it was an hour and a half. <laughs> and I was like, holy hell, this girl is exactly what we need because she's got the structure that neither one of us have because <laughs> we're off the rails most of the time. They really just looked at my fingers. <laughs> If you notice, I have all 10 of them. <laughs> all right, gentlemen, I want to I wanna reorient uh, this talk back to the question, who will feed America in the future? You know, we joked about Bill Gates. That was the first answer we heard. And then when we asked you again, we said the rancher. But the reality is, is that's not going to happen. It will be Bill Gates. And people like Bill Gates because he's a poster child, right? He represents everything that's wrong in America. But unless we stand up and take action, as Jason pointed out, we're not going to regulate our way out of this problem. The politicians are not coming to save us. The heroes exist right here in this room. We're it. Tag, you're it. So I'm really excited to talk to you gentlemen about the I Am Texas Slim Foundation. So you want to kick that off, Slim? Tell us a little bit about what that is you and bet. how it's a solution to this very thing that we're talking about right now. Well, even in that first conversation I had with Jason, um, whenever I started the Beef Initiative before that, it was basically I was writing about food intelligence. I knew that I was going to get into something that was close to the beef intelligence. I just didn't know how to frame it. One thing I knew is that we had to play the play the game our way, not somebody else's way. I did a deep dive into foundations across the United States, and guess what one of the biggest foundations in the world is in the United States? Bill and then, yeah, those guys. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Here we go. We see a pattern here. So I, I go, I go in there and I look at, you know, the foundation and how they set them up. You know, everybody feels very good about, you know, having a foundation. Uh, this, this one you're seeing up here right now is the Texas uh, educational reform. It's the reforming the education in Texas. And whenever you donate to one of these things, you look, you got the Walton family, you got JP, you, know, you got all these people that are, you know, they got their hands in the pie. They've got all kinds of different things that, you know, your money since, you know, you, you, you give during the holiday season. You're not giving the crap. You're just making rich people more rich. Well, Jason and I talked and we talked and for years, like, what? are we going to do? How are we going to do this foundation? Is it going to be a scholarship? What is it going to be? I took a deep dive in the trust. Y'all ever looked at the Harvard Trust Foundation? It's fascinating. Nobody can ever touch that damn thing. It's deep. They don't even have to charge for basically, you know, tuition. Harvard could educate the whole of the United States right now, but they choose not to. They like to put a prohibition against what true education is. 
And so the first time I talked to Jason, I said, hey, Jason, I said, tell me, you know, what, why, and how, and all that stuff. And he goes, first off and foremost, now listen to this. This is a guy that busts his ass every day. He gets out at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. He goes out there, and he has to fix his track. He has to fix equipment. He has to do all kinds. Of, he has to fix cows. He has to fix a lot of things. But one thing he says and what he basically is very proud of is he is an educator. We have Mr. Odell in the back room. What does Mr. Odell talk about? Education. This is about education, education, education. A lot of people don't know what education is anymore. I Am Texas Slim Foundation is a form of education that our grandfathers taught us. And this man right here, this family right here, a new producer right there, another producer somewhere here in this room, they want to educate, but the education can't have all these touch points. That's friction. It's too much friction. It's not free-flowing. So what we've done is we created I Am Texas Slim Foundation. And what it does, it allots, basically it allows the Beef Initiative to allot a grant to Jason Rick of Rick Ranches. He is the first rancher in the Beef Initiative that will ever receive the first grant from the I Am Texas Slim Foundation. What I did the last three years is I saved up some money and I put it into a trust. I just basically finished my trust partnership with a company called Unchained Capital. They are a Bitcoin company. They are a solid company. They're something that is very transparent. And so I put that one full Bitcoin is what I was able to save throughout the last three years with me on the road. I dollar cost averaged in. I saved money. I had an intention with that money. And what I said I was going to do is I was going to give it to be a base layer foundation, basically, so we could start re-educating and educating for the first time a new generation of ranchers, just like Jason, just like the well Warrens, just like Cole Bolton, just like Justin Trammell, just like Karsten right there. Karsten's from Canyon, Texas. Everybody, Karsten, stand up. Guess what? He came all the way from West Texas. I don't know Karsten. He found me. He lives probably seven miles from where I grew up. He's sitting in this room. He came here. How old are you, Karsten? 19. You're a badass, Karsten. You and I are going to talk a lot. But one thing about it is, Carson, do you still go to university? You got out of it. Okay, Carson got out. He's a story. We're not going to put him on the spot today. He went to Canyon High School, correct? Somewhere, Randall, one of those two. Okay, what he did, he chose to go to the academic institutions. One of that, probably West Texas State University, was that one of them that you had the, yeah, you know, right there. And I grew up two blocks away from that. Who, who controls the curriculum in these uh, institutions anymore? Does anybody know when it comes to agriculture? Pharmaceutical. Yeah, pharmaceutical, big ag, everybody across the board, yes. Well, what we're going to do with the I Am Texas Slim Foundation is we're going to give direct market access to the type of education that basically every 
Karsten across this nation is yearning to learn. We're not going to ask for permission. And what we've done is we've created a foundation trust that allots this man $10,000 next year so he can educate Karsten. He's one rancher. We're going to get 100 ranchers this year. Okay, we're going to get 100 ranchers this year that get a $10,000 grant so they can educate our children. Okay, that's pretty bold, isn't it? Guess what? I've done my part, and I'm going to keep on doing my part. But one thing that we are going to do now is we're going to go out there, we're going to hit the pavement, and we're going to let everybody know that each one of us is I am Texas Slim. Because what that means <laughs> is that we're going to re-educate this nation. So that's a big, bold mood. Well, you know, think how much deception is in that. Think what we're up against. So let's talk about the foundation. Before I dive into the foundation, gentlemen, you know, we're talking about solving a really big problem here. And so I think it's important to, to dive deeply into defining what is the problem? What is the trajectory that we are on right now? What's happening? Well, yeah, so the reality is we have an aged agrarian population, and we have many young people that do not have an avenue to get the education necessary for them to start their own successful agricultural businesses. And if you go into the land-grant university system, you will see that it is all driven by big ag and big pharmaceuticals. You have the Monsantos that have the patents on all the seed, and they have all of the patents on all of the chemicals, which by design, they're feeding us to continue to make sure that we are unhealthy, um, our brains don't function properly, and that we continue to just be good cogs in the machine that they've built for us. So those of us that are in regenerative agriculture, those of us that are using you know, planned intensive rotational grazing, that are working on our own genetics to develop our own locally adapted cattle that uh, excel in the conditions that we have. I mean, Western Colorado at 7,000 feet to 14,000 feet elevation is a far cry different than it is in West Texas, Central Texas, here where you guys have stuff that falls out of the sky all the time, right? I'm, I see it as tears, but I guess you guys call it rain, which is fantastic, <laughs> right? Completely different quality of forage, completely different environment. But if you don't have opportunities and avenues for the young people who want to get that kind of education, we are doomed to failure. Because who's going to feed the nation? The factories are. If we aren't actually putting our best foot forward now, if you aren't supporting what we're doing to give us the opportunity and the financial resources to allow us to educate that next generation of farmers and ranchers, it's gonna be a sad, sad place that we will be in. And that's the thing for me is I'm not afraid to talk, but I'll tell you what, I will get out in the field and show and teach and prove all of the systems that we are doing work and they're highly replicable all over. But you have to learn how to onboard and on-ramp people to get them in the field, to get that education that they need to have their own successes. Because mine has all been learned through a school of hard knocks, right? 
but I've learned so much and I've logged so many hours and I've taken so many notes. I have this huge wealth of knowledge, but number one, I don't have the time in addition to my ranching business to build a curriculum, but I have the experience to put someone in my pocket and let them shadow me and I can help teach them what works for me and then they can take that out and apply that to wherever it is that they are what part of the country they are, what part of the system they want to be, whether they want to be a cow-calf, whether they want to be a grass-fed direct-to-consumer, whether they want to be a grass-fed dairy, whatever it is, all of those basic animal husbandry, soil health practices, they all translate across the board no matter what. So, I mean, and that's where the foundation comes in because the thing for us is, Ranching is very capital intensive. So we're cash poor, land rich, oftentimes. Whereas the foundation is gonna give us an opportunity to put some housing in. So we have a place for those interns to come and stay for education. And it also helps build another revenue stream for our ranch to help us continue into perpetuity. Because little did I know People actually want to come and hang out and sweat and pay me to do it. <laughs> and that's what's so fantastic about what we've been talking about for over a year now is finally realizing how we're going to make that work. Good question. In, in terms of the education, which is such a needed thing, you're educating one person at a time. As you're educating that one person at a time, is there an opportunity to have a video crew there so that you can reach a thousand people? Yeah, that's a good question. We've we've talked about that before, and in this, let me back up a little bit to give a good perspective of what you just asked. When I first started talking to Jason, you know, I I was in multimedia. I was a project manager, producer, research, and I did a lot of things in big tech. But one thing that I saw that the rancher, I said, they don't have a voice anymore. Well, I always come with solutions. I said, Jason, we're going to give you a voice. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, you're going to become your own media channel right there. And what we do is we have a lot of people coming in through the Beef Initiative that has skill sets. And so Jason is going to have his own podcast. He's going to live stream his education to the world. We're going to build, he's going to be building out locally, but we're going to be broadcasting globally. And, and that's something that he does very well. He has a very strong voice. He's very articulate. But one thing he does like to do is he likes to, he likes to take pictures of his cows. And so. the beautiful vistas and the mountain scenes. Yes. So have you ever seen his, have you seen a picture of his ranch from our, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you guys, are, we'll, we'll send one out here today. You'll be able to look at it. And um Whenever we went to Colorado at his ranch, nobody wanted to leave on Sunday. And people were camping out. I mean, this was kind of, it was kind of rough and tumble a little bit. It wasn't that bad. But um, we all talked about that day. It's like, how can we bring this to the world? Well, we're, we're there now. This is what this foundation is for. I think the, the interesting thing about, you know, what we're doing here is, we, you know, we talk local. And what Jason's doing is establishing the model. And how many producers do we have on the site? 110. Can right you now. imagine 110 producers being able to take Jason's model and apply it in their community? You talk about scalability, there's your answer. 
Yeah, it's just like building a node. I mean, we're all there building our n- nodes in our own communities. And the other thing, too, is I'm preaching community involvement. You know, I'm on board of directors for nine different organizations because we, between my parents' generation and mine, we lost that community involvement and the importance of that. So what we found on a lot of these board of directors is you have the people who went to a liberal arts school who move into a small community, and that's who gets on your board of directors and changes the trajectory of all of your municipal organizations and how things are prioritized and all of those things. Whereas the small rural people who are just so busy working and grinding are getting left behind. So they go to, to vote on a ballot and they're like, we don't even know what this means. We don't understand what they're trying to do. And the next thing you know, this beautiful, amazing, rural, strong, independent community is now worrying about what pictures are going to be hung on the outside of the bathrooms and things like that, you know? And so now I'm reinvigorating that get out and get involved, get on those boards, be the change that you want to see. And that's an opportunity. So with what we're doing, those young impressionable people who were busy scrolling social media, they can get a sweat on, they can get their hands dirty. They can learn some real tangible skills, whether it's how to run a chainsaw and build fence and what a sick cow looks like and, and how, how you, you know, identify that and, and when's the best time to harvest hay, what time of day and how do you feed and how do you know what room and fill on a feeder calf looks like and how all of those things that just come second nature to me that is lost. Like I learned a lot of that from my grandfather you know, bless his heart, like taking the opportunity to teach me those things. And for me to be able to share that with the next generation, it just, it, it builds so much hope and helps me get up in the morning and do what I'm doing to make sure I can pass that on to as many people as possible, which is why I'm here. That's why I've invested the time and money to be part of the beef initiative and do the traveling and speaking and all of those things, because it's, it's really important. And we'll, we're going to leverage, and I tell people this, and they don't understand, and it, sometimes it is deep when I have a comment, but we're going to turn pop culture on its head. Pop culture is used against us, the marketing plans, the centralized communication structures, the audio, the video to the food. So if they're going to leverage that against us, then we're going to get this dude that, you know, he, he's as crazy as I am. We're going to put his ass on a camera every day and he's going to be bumping his gums up there and people are going to pay attention. And they're going to say, well, the hell, this is a lifestyle. This is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit watching Yellowstone. I've got a cowboy right here. And so we're going to turn pop culture on its head. We're going to show them what the real cowboy is. And we're going to do it with uh, eloquence and sophistication that the people of the likes of Bill and Melinda Gates do not understand. Well, and we're going to do it with transparency. So I'm honored to say that I was one of the first people to donate to this foundation. I couldn't wait. I'm so excited about what you're going to be doing, Jason. And, And the beautiful thing is, is that unlike this, my money goes here. It goes right here. I know where it's going. And the beautiful thing about Jason is I have no idea how you find the time to tweet. (laughs) But I'm going to be able to watch where my dollars are going on a daily basis. And they're going into me. They're going into you. They're going into our future. And it's really quite profound. But Slim, I want you to tell us a little bit about your story. I was from the doctor. 
I was four weeks, uh, four weeks away from dying at that time. Two weeks earlier, I was up here in the top left. Well, being me, uh, being cowboy, all that kind of good stuff, um, I've broken over 20 bones in my body. I've got 14 pieces of metal in me. I learned how to break shit at a, a very young age. Throughout my life, I was told to not complain and deal with the pain. So about three years ago, I got busted up in a, in a shop. I was working on some metal, and I had some broken ribs and stuff like that. Well, I, I, I had an internal injury I didn't know about, so I ignored it. I, I dealt with the pain, and I didn't complain. And so all of a sudden, I started losing weight. I wasn't paying attention. I was not being very intentional about a lot of things. I was dealing with the pain. And what happened is my kidney shut down. I had a portal vein collapse, and voila, my, my, all my fluids were in here. I wasn't eating. I was down to, before I got the, the top right or the top left there, I was about 140-something pounds. I usually carry about 172. So I was losing weight, but my belly's getting bigger. Well, they drained over 29 liters out of me. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And the doctor said, you got six weeks. And this one right here is whenever they drain those 29 liters out of my system. And so what happened in, in everything else, the, pretty, the, the sexy pictures there, you look at my arms. That's the, I, I look like I was, you know what I was? I was nutritionally starved. I was nutritionally starved. Like most 88% of our Americans in the United States, we have the statistics, are now metabolically basically compromised. So I was nutritionally starved, and I was in the ICU, close to the ICU, and I started listening to the nutritionist, and everything she was telling me was making me more sick. She was giving me all these, you know, whatever food, highly processed, you know, whatever you want to call it anymore. And so I said, nah, I'm going to have to save myself on this one. I'm going to go back to how I was raised. And therefore, I started basically, I changed my overall consumption model. Consumption model being audio, video, to food. And I said, I'm in charge of this now. Nobody else is going to basically dictate with labels or all this type of stuff that we get in the industrial food complex. So what I did is I went on a path, and I'm, I, I made a promise. I said, I'm going to go and save the children right now that didn't have the chance I have. I have something that I'd leveraged that brought me back to life. And then throughout the time that was been in the, the Beef Initiative has, has evolved, we get all these people coming and saying, hey, I've got a story. Can I tell you my story? And right here we have Kel. Kel's 15 years old whenever he woke up and he was basically a quadriplegic. And uh, he had inflammation in his spinal cord. They couldn't figure it out. And he was in and out of the doctors. And all of a sudden, he was 15 years old. He was active. He was not able to move his arms, his legs. He was a paraplegic, quadriplegic pretty much, close to it. Well, what was it last? Uh, it's been about six months. He heard me and Adam Curry on a podcast. And he listened to what the nutritionist had been telling him. He's even got pictures of pudding cups while he's in ICU. You know, high fructose corn syrup with some soy and some, you know, rapeseed and all that kind of good shit. Well, he, he, he listened and he's like, fascinating. He, he was so detached at knowing that there's a solution out there. And that solution is basically knowing what pure, dense animal protein is, what, what true nutritional value is. So that's kind of the long and short, Sean. 
Well, it's also why this matters. I mean, Kale and I have become really close friends. You, I can't wait for him to, to join us at an event one of these days. He's an incredible human being, just such a ball of energy. And he barely has any energy to get through his days, although he's reclaiming that. As a matter of fact, and I don't know if he told you this, Slim, he was a basketball player before he was injured. And uh, his movement was literally taken away from him. Well, he came across the Beef Initiative, as, as Slim pointed out, and he started to slowly but surely reclaim his health with nutrient-dense animal protein. Well, he calls me up the other day and he says, Sean, I jumped. I jumped. I didn't think I could do that. My doctor told me to, to hang it up. That was never going to happen again. And, and he's like, what else can I do? And I'm like, I don't know, dude, but let's, let's find out. And so I can't imagine a world where somebody like Kale doesn't have access to the food that's literally saving his life and bringing him back to life again. And uh, that's what this foundation's about. That's what we're doing. And that's why it matters. And I think it's really important to keep that in mind. <laughs> Let's talk about that you chart. You want to talk about this chart? Yeah. You know it very well. It's it's the planetary health diet. This is what they're proposing. Uh, if we're not aware, there is a global industrial food shift. They're they're taking more nutrition out of uh, out of our market access, and so this is what they're proposing right here. You want to talk about that? You can see it better. Well, than me. anybody who who can see the chart can't read it. Well, see that little red sliver. That's the amount of meat that they want us to consume. It's about a tablespoon, about a tablespoon a week. So you can imagine, and not, not you guys, right? But when we go on that central digital banking currency and we've met our tablespoon quota for the week, yeah, ding, ding, you're done. You've tapped out. And I'm going back to this because, again, we're, we're all having a good time, a lot of positive energy here. At the same time, we've, we've got to be sobering because this is the future that we have for us if we don't do something about it. Luckily, you can buy beef for me with Bitcoin and no one has to know the, the better. <laughs> and that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. And the more people that we have that are interested in taking up arms and raising their own beef, um, starting their own farms and ranches, the better off we're gonna be. I mean, because that's really the only path forward. I mean, we have so much underutilized land in all of our neighborhoods that if we had someone who just had the basic knowledge and then the little confidence boost that comes from being able to do it hands-on and have success. I mean, for me, I've started so many young grass-fed direct-to-consumer competitors in my hometown because there's so much grass that just gets wasted and there's so much land degraded land that doesn't get utilized and so the more people i can have or help raise five head 10 head 12 head um and feed their communities the better off everybody is the land the planet the human health that you're feeding that beef to it, it's a win-win-win and it's really the only way forward. 
And to say that we, we, we get caught up and, you know, there's a lot of people that we, you look on social media, you, and we talk about Kel, we talk about me and I want to bring to everybody's, I'm going to put him on the spot. I haven't met him personally, but I met him through the camera. Best-selling author of the carnivore diet, Mr. Dr. Sean Baker is here. I'm not going to let Sean talk yet because y'all going to have to hold on. Patience, patience. But uh, he's, he's got stories. Every day people come into his life and they say, hey, following you, listening about basically eating beef has saved my life. It's not, a, it's not a circle jerk of being a carnivore. This is about basically really true life, basically stories. And I bet Sean's got a thousand of them. Beef Initiative, we've got hundreds of them. I get emails every day. So we're on to something, folks. And once again, you know, we took action to be here. Sean came all the way across the country to be here today. He's going to be tomorrow. At, is it tomorrow at Cattlemen's Association Convention or today? I, I, we'll find out. Brooke was here last night. He was asking about you. So, but uh, thank you, Sean, for being here. Appreciate you. So on that note, what we're going to do is Sean, she's going to make sure that we see this over and over again today, right? Get out your phones, everybody, right now. Let's do it. We're going to practice. Go to thebeefinitiative.com or walk up to the screen. You don't have to do it right now. You don't have to be put on the spot. But what you're going to do is you're going to start sharing this. You're going to talk about it with authority, not saying, oh, because I, I hate asking for shit. I really do. I've never been a person that's able to ask. Hey, Slim. Yeah. I dare somebody to stand up right now and donate to this cause. I'll, I'll donate $100 right now. And I'm going to match that. Perfect. Who's next? Can we get one more? Two more. Hundred, hundred, hundred. I'm in. This is what I'm talking about. This is who you are. And I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you. Look, uh, our ranchers are very familiar with adversity. And that's what we're facing right now. So what we can do is just go to the website and click donate. Just go to beefinitiative.com and just hit donate. There's a hand with a heart. Just hit that one, and it'll take you that. Some of these phones don't scan. Did you know that they got rid of uh, GMO on packaging? Who knows that? Okay, what does that mean to everybody? They dropped GMO off of packaging. You know what's on there now? Barcode. Not too many people know how to do a barcode, do they? You know where the barcode takes you? to a terms and service agreement of what now they call bioengineering. Instead of GMO now, we have bioengineered foods. A lot of people think, well, that's sophisticated. <laughs> that's scientific. So they're using barcodes in certain ways. Well, we're gonna use a barcode in a certain way too. And what we're doing though, is we're, we're basically giving you market access to truth. They're giving you market access to deception. But this is, this is how this starts taking off. I was in front of 200 people the other night in Texas and did the same thing, and everybody pretty much ignored me. That's something that I'm very prepared <laughs> to deal with because I could give two shits if you don't care because I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to get your attention. And so 
once you get this type of success and people start having this intentional behavior, it's like a virus. We're going to spread a virus across, of our own across this nation. And it's going to be something that we're creating. We are the movie now. He is the cowboy. I'm the cowboy. I'm kind of punchy. He's from Colorado. But what he is, he's grit. And we're going to show grit. And one thing that I, you know, we're going to keep doing this today. Remember that. Everybody comes in that door and says, oh, did you, did you scan? We're going to make them scan. We're going to make them look at this. And um, one thing that after I met Jason, and we're going to segue into basically now the curriculum of today of this workshop, but we're going to start learning what it takes to be a rancher in the United States. And what we have is we have two people here. They're very dear to me. They live and come from West Texas. They are who fed us last night. Did y'all enjoy that? Ann and Weldon Warren are from outside of Lubbock, Texas. Uh, over 20 years ago, they had a health scare. Uh, one thing they did is they pioneered their way into uh, the ranching industry that basically told them that they were a joke, that they were hippie ranchers, that they, you know, there's a lot of different names. And one thing they didn't do is they didn't ignore the deceptions. They knew that they had to be intentional and they went out there and they basically, you guys don't know this, they helped write the protocol to be able to basically sell beef through Whole Foods right here. They, they are pioneers and they're willing to basically put all that behind them because they see a new horizon. They found the beef initiative. We've had many discussions. They are now going to be one of our major suppliers through the beef initiative. When you buy through the beef initiative, you're going to be able to buy Holy cow, you've tasted holy cow. So one thing, I want you guys to come up here. Maybe Jason will scoot over, but you're going to stay up here, Jason. And we're going to let you guys, without any interruption, y'all are going to talk about what it takes to be a rancher in the United States. We're not going to script this, and you guys are just going to free flow a little bit. We've got a highway in Colorado that goes on the, um, along the side of Black Canyon. And uh, when the Warrens asked me what the best, most scenic way for them to come to our ranch in July, I sent them on that highway. Of course, they're driving a 50-foot RV pulling a Jeep behind it. I guess I should have told them that there's like 36 hairpin turns with a 2,000-foot cliff on one side and a mountain on the other side. So when they arrived, there was a few choice words exchanged with me, but nevertheless, they survived, and we were so honored to have them at our ranch. So thank you guys so much for coming. My knuckles are still white. It was harrowing. <laughs> Highway 92. No guardrails. Yeah, we don't do guardrails in Colorado. It's part of the Darwinism. Um, if you can stay on the road, then you can live. And if not, better luck next time. So what would you like for us to share, Slim, the health story? We can just, we don't have to go deep into it. We know that there was a health scare. What I want to know is, is what action did you take? You know, whenever you say, I'm going to, nobody's going to save me. 
what did you do? And then, you know, what, what's been your path? We prayed. <laughs> <laughs> that health scare was scary. So we had a stroke. When, you, when I had a stroke, your whole family has a stroke. And so it was pretty dire, 50% blockage. And food is what brought me back to health. Clean eating, that's the summary. We ate clean animal protein, a lot of it. We had our own chickens, our own eggs, our own beef, our own rabbits. And uh, we grew our own garden. We had raw milk from Jersey cow. And it only took, let's say, close to 10 years total to have a complete eradication of all the plaque that I had in my arteries. 50% blocked in the, in the carotids and all the arteries on the heart to zero plaque. And my doctor said it, it, it couldn't happen through food. Food, you don't need food for your health. You, you know, I mean, you, if you take pharmaceuticals, you don't need food. Um, but we didn't take the pharmaceuticals and I'm 100% clean today. And that led us back to my ranching heritage, the way my granddad ranched and farmed. He, he would not call himself a rancher. He was a farmer that had cattle, dairy, chickens, all that. Um, and so that's the way we lived uh, to begin our health track back uh, to prosperity. And so that led us into the, the grass-fed business. Uh, we started the program for Whole Foods in what we call the Southwest region, four states. Uh, they didn't believe grass-fed would sell in Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana because of uh, the predominance of the state-funded feedlots uh, that are in the Midwest, you know, and down to Texas. So now we have a thriving business, and our goal is to educate people every day. So we always say it's our passion and our ministry and people that come to, to pick up their product, they have to hear me at least once, tell them how, how and why they're eating this way uh, because it's very intentional eating to save your life. And we're all in this and we're all in it together. Yeah. And that's what's fun about it is, is that the stories that you get to, you know, that's two decades and, you know, we're going to get, we just, we talked about education and guess what? The Warrens have a wish. They want to be able to have a grant so they can educate. And so they have children that work for them now. They take orders every morning. They show up. And, and one thing that they love to do though, the Warrens, they, they actually, they have horses. They do. They have horses. They have a ranch in, outside of Lubbock, Texas. They want to open that up. But um, one thing, I want to basically have the perspective of, of a, a cowgirl, of a cowgirl rancher in West Texas and what that means to you, Anne. Okay, so um, my background is, is more similar to Chials. I was born and raised a city girl. My dad was an accountant, um, partner in charge of one of the big eight firms. And um, when I met and married Weldon, and uh, and the stroke happened in his early 40s, our kids were like kindergarten, I mean, young. We were a very young family um, when that happened. And the doctor sent us home with four prescriptions, of which this stubborn West Texas man um, wouldn't take any of them. But he said, we're going to manage your decline. And to hear that with such young children, it's like, what does that mean? You know, so as 
Weldon said we prayed, and he felt like God wanted him to go back to his roots, back to the country, and begin. He had already started reading about grass-fed and grass-finished beef and the high omega-3s, and that had the possibility of turning cardiovascular health around. Um, people would always ask me, so were you born and raised in the country too? And my response was, country club? So <laughs> my husband loves to say he took the club out of me and moved me to the country. Once we did that, there was a big learning curve um, for me. The first time I shot a 30-30 was into the ground because I didn't understand it, how to work it. And it, went, and it was like, oh, my gosh. You know, and there was a kick. So um, I killed a couple seven, well, they were seven feet long, four inches in diameter chicken snakes. That was new to me, too. So... Um, um, but as a city girl gone country, I can tell you there's no better way to raise children. My boys were boys. They were out there every day in the dirt, carrying their little 22s, bringing home little jackrabbits for us. Um, and one of them, we used to call him Eagle Eyes. The things this boy who had trouble in other areas, um, one of my sons is adopted and he has some learning disabilities, but what he could observe I can't tell you how many times he grabbed the back of the neck of the other little boy, pulled him off of a snake, a poisonous snake that was going to, you know, do harm. But anyways, there are the things that he could see in the sky. And as a mother, to have your boys just be men out there um, building rafts, floating in the tanks. We call them, where I was raised in Michigan, we call them ponds, but in Texas you call them tanks. Um, so... Um, they built their own rafts, their own sailboats. They did all that. And my daughters um, were are both extremely tough feminine women. And so to have that balance, and I always, when I talk, I have the opportunity to say, um, when women are nutritionally balanced, they know exactly what a woman is. <laughs> There's this confusion, what is a woman? But um, Mills and I have long talks about this all the time. And when you are nutritionally balanced, when you are eating the right foods and you have the perspective of omega-3s or the right ratio of omega-3s and omega-6s, um, those things are so valuable for cardiovascular health, but they're also so, so very valuable for children's brains. And in those brains, you just kind of, um, when I use these terms, I don't want people to think I'm strange, but women know their place, but I also think men know their place. And there's a grace given to each one of us, whether we're a female or a male. And when you are nutritionally balanced, it's easier to fall in line with that grace. And so both my daughters can bake like there's no tomorrow, but they can also ride horses like there's no tomorrow. Um, one of our daughters is, we often... Um, say she's a horse whisperer and she does a lot with horses and um, children who are um, disabled and there's um, and she and for her it's got to be bareback because then you're in one with the horse I mean she's really she's very out there and yet very very grounded it's a it's a beautiful thing and then our other daughter is one of those super high achievers and she's in um, corporate America in Austin um, but she is um, still just such a grounded person, very similar to Mills. I love, I always brag about Mills when I get a chance to talk about women. Luckily, I had a mother who taught me to cook, very similar to Slim when he talks about his mom. Um, people often ask me, since I'm the rancher's wife, what is my favorite cut? And it's chuck roast, hands down. I love it going long and slow all day. 
Um, then my second favorite is ground beef. Yes, I love a good filet. Yes, I love a good ribeye. But those two things are my most favorite off the animal. I love to eat every single bit of the fat off that chuck roast. It just melts in my mouth. Um, and so learning that nutrition and being able to walk away, um, I have a sister that's seven years younger than me. And as I was in college, she would come home from high school and say to my mom, so what's for dinner? And my mom would say, um, well, we're going to have uh, turkey. And my sister would say, is that chicken turkey or turkey turkey? <laughs> because there was that huge span in our life when it was no fat, don't eat any fat. It's all got to be lean and everything became chicken. There's turkey bacon still out there. It's really nasty. It's like such a strange, bizarre thing, that turkey bacon. But if you've never had beef bacon, it's phenomenal. It's really good. <laughs> the fat melts in your mouth as satisfactorily as pork bacon. Um, so coming off of um, a mom who cooked beef a lot, and then as I came out of the house, she all she cooked was chicken. She ended up, her health ended up declining, and she did pass of Alzheimer's. Um, and that was such a sad thing for our family. And I think if she could have just stayed true to her roots and stayed eating high-fat, nutrient-dense beef, for one, but um, proteins, that my mother would probably still be here today because everything else was a picture of health um, except for her brain. So that's my story. Thank you. How many people have ever heard that story in this room? <laughs> Most Americans haven't. We don't have market access to that type of information and that type of education. How simple is it? All of this is so simple, simple it's complicated to the general American public. That's, that's the thing, that's a barrier that we have to, you know, punch through. And by creating this market access to these people that want to feed us and these people that have had these life challenges, these people that have pioneered into an industry that didn't think that they could do it because maybe the grass wasn't that rich in West Texas. But, you know, the grass in West Texas actually used to steward thousands upon thousands of bison. You know, that's the thing about the diversity of regenerative farming and ranching. We've got grasses in West Texas that basically people don't realize if you take a genetic of an Angus in East Texas, bring that genetics to West Texas, that West Texas grass that's been there for whoever, you know, thousands upon thousands of years can actually put on more weight in West Texas than it could in East Texas. But see, a lot of times, ranchers don't even know to have that conversation with each other. And that's one thing that we're doing as far as the, the Warrens being able to know Jason. They talk on the phone. They're going to share beef intelligence with each other. And by sharing that beef intelligence in an open source way, as we are here today, it's called education. Everybody thinks education is something different, but it's not. It's exactly what we're doing here today. Go ahead. Slim, let me share a quick story about the difference between an arid environment and one that receives a lot more rain. Uh, and if all of our ranchers would employ this technique, we would basically have feedlot type gains on grass if you employ the east to the west or from the wet environment to the dry environment. It's really simple. It's just not taught in ag school anymore. I wonder why, because right. they don't want you to know. But you can buy animals through for ranchers that are certified correctly, all natural, no harm, you know, whatever they're wanting to be, 
and the way they're doing it, that fit our protocol, uh, we can buy a, a fairly healthy 18-month-old, uh, uh, I'll back up, we'll buy a yearling that's 700 pounds, 600 pounds, growing up in an environment where they get um, 55 inches of rain a year, uh, that grass is going to be roughly 90% water and 10% protein, whereas the grass in West Texas is 90% protein and 10% water. Our grasses might be four to six, eight, ten inches. You go around here in your bar ditches here, and it, they have to mow it every week. It's 15 to 18 inches tall. But you bring out, bring that animal from east to west in our in our situation, and that six or seven hundred pound calf can gain four to five pounds a day because their rumen is four times bigger from in East Texas as it is in West Texas. So if our ranchers would just employ that technique, sell their calves, wherever they're going to sell them, buy the, the calves from East Texas, bring them to West Texas, and in 150 days they will have gained 600 pounds. And Colorado grasses are... It's like, like cocaine. Yeah, it's, seriously. And that's that's what Slim's trying to say is we have the education, we have the, the knowledge to help people in our area understand how to ranch. And that's what I love that you said you've actually raised competitors. We have done the same thing, Canyon Provisions in um, just outside of Post, which is just outside of Lubbock, um, trained them up. They already had a holistic um, ranch, but they weren't raising cattle or selling them or bringing them to market. Um, and so we're able to teach them how to grow their cattle in this type of situation on the grasses that are so coveted and so hard. And like we just came out of the worst drought um, since 2011, and it really, really hurt us. It was just, it was every time people would say, well, I want to come to your ranch next. I'd look at Slim and go, do they know what they're saying? I mean, we were so hurt this last summer, um, but now it's raining. And that's what's so funny. It's rained every single day we've been here. And I'm like, Jason, it's like, what, what is, what is this? Like, why is it still raining? Something we don't get to experience. But educating people in our region is a voice we need to have. And that's what Slim has recognized. And that's why he is doing this great thing. In fact, um, I was, Sean said that Jason should um, educate the 110 ranchers. And I was thinking, no, I think those 110 ranchers need to bring in another 110 ranchers. And so they already have at least enough knowledge to get on the list with Beef Initiative, and they know their terrain and their climate and what's going on there. I mean, this gaining four and five pounds a day in West Texas, you can only do that when the rumen is already so huge from being undernourished in East Texas. And so you can't just have a calf born in West Texas and put that kind of gain on them. And so that's that's just the beauty is the knowledge he has for Colorado. What he's taught me about Colorado, I'm just like, why aren't we moving to Colorado? I mean, mm -hmm. the grass there is something I'm like just in awe of. Um, in fact, it gets shipped all around the world, your, your, doesn't it, for, for like racehorses and stuff? I mean, it's that premium of a product where he is. And so, anyways, it's pretty cool. You get a mountain high. Yeah. <laughs> Rocky Mountain High. Yeah. Well, in, in what is confusing to a lot of people, and we hear this all the time on social media, on all the podcasts, is like what they just said. Everybody goes, how's that scalable? Right. How's that scalable? We're not trying to scale crap here, folks. We're trying to replicate. We're trying to do multiplication of replication. 
that's what we have to start bringing into the perception and the understanding of what we're accomplishing here. Scaling a system linear is what got us here in the first place. That's the number one issue. We're not trying to scale anything. We're trying to go basically an inch, uh, inch wide and a thousand miles deep instead of a thousand miles across this globe and one inch deep. We're going deep with replication so we can multiply that from each personal experience in each different region, each geography, each demographic, each blade of grass, each patch of soil. That's what they have basically engineered into our mindsets that we are all very genuine as ranchers. It's not a competition. Each one of them brings this form of beef intelligence that is actually a treasure map for this nation. And that's what they don't want you to understand. That is the prohibition against you. That is the prohibition against the rancher. We're going to replicate, replicate, replicate. That's what the foundation's about. Replicate, replicate. Each one of these guys has got a story. I want to share a quick segue here about homesteading. Who hit, Raise your hand if you know what homesteading is about. All of us should be homesteading to some degree, smaller, larger. If you're really large, you're really a ranch. But if you don't want to be ranching, you can certainly homestead. I've probably counseled 20 people in the last 10 years who have now gone out, purchased their own 10, 20, 60 acres. And then it's like, okay, now exactly what am I going to be doing? What do I buy first? You know, and the first thing we recommend is you buy a dairy cow. On that homestead, you buy a dairy cow, Jersey, Guernsey, Brown, Swiss, a brown hided, produces A2, raw milk, one of the healthiest things for you. The fat in there is gold. And so that, that dairy cow, you're saying, I don't want to be a dairyman. I don't want to milk at four in the morning and four in the afternoon. Well, guess what? I don't either. So I did it a different way. I said, I'm going to adopt, I'm going to buy orphan calves from the cell barn, preferably Angus Genetics, and that's going to be my milker. I'm going to go, or she's going to go, or our kids go, they learn to pray the rosary, milking a cow. <laughs> Hail Mary, full of grace. <laughs> and you get your gallon when you want it, and you get all you need, and the calves get the rest. That one dairy cow of ours for 10 years produced a few more than 30 animals for our grass-fed program from from a 50 <clears throat> <laughs> he loves our animals Bessie Bessie was her name <laughs> 30 animals in 10 years <laughs> that's amazing and all she wanted to be fed was grass we didn't have to do a whole lot for her. Yeah. I'd come out the back door. She'd, she'd start from the pasture on some coastal and head to the barn. I didn't have to put a halter on her, tie her up. I just tied up her tail so she didn't swat you accidentally with it. But the best milk, the best calves, 30 that I had a cost of $50 in into our program. Every one of y'all could be doing that on 10 acres, 30 acres, 60 acres. You're growing your own organic garden. You're growing your own beef. You're in control of your food security. It's easy to do. You just got to get a little bit out into the country. And then you're going to have neighbors, your friends, your influence. You're going to influence them, and they're going to go out and buy their 20 acres. It really is easy. God will lead you. He'll open the doors. And 
was saying that not everybody has the means. What about those, uh, you know, the means that the Warrens have had or that Jason's had? Um, you know, my uh, grandfather had two sections up there in the panhandle. I drove through it the other day, and it's got wind farms on it. Okay, that's, a, once again, prohibition against us having basically a store of value for our animals, for our nutrition. And so not everybody can do exactly what the Warrens have done or what Jason... Jason doesn't own that much land, and he's okay with saying he doesn't own that much land. But what he does, he stewards 4,000 acres in that valley because he went knocking on doors. And so you're not always going to be able to afford, you're not always going to have market access to be able to have that land. Well, you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you go knock on a bunch of rich people's doors and say, hey, what? tell us that story. How, may, how did you start off? Yeah, so our home place is owned by my mother-in-law and I pay a cash lease to her. And we started managing it different than all of the neighbors. So through the droughts that we've had, pretty much since I've been ranching, all the neighbors land is totally degraded because they they just overgraze it. And some of those properties have changed hands and they asked me if I would mind taking care of their land because my land looks better than their land. And that kind of built through the neighborhood until my reputation got to the point where I've had other larger landowners reach out to me and say, hey, you know, we bought this property as a private hunting property. Would you have any interest in running cows on it so we can keep it in ag? So you can get the tax break of agricultural land versus residential land. And so, sure. Well, then the next thing you know, another one of those neighbors calls me. And then there's a, a really ideal little piece in the middle. And um, so I go knock on the door. Hey, I noticed your fences are falling down and your irrigation infrastructure's torn up. Would you be willing to let me fix it up for you, fix up your place for you? in exchange for the grass. And they're like, well, what do you mean in exchange for the grass? Because, I mean, it is Colorado, right? So some people talk about grass <laughs> differently than many other people. Um, no, no, the pastures. Take, take, care, take care of the pastures. And um, they're like, sure, go ahead, knock yourself out. So I, I built this beautiful relationship to where in one of my management areas, I can take the cows from the lowest property trail them up the road to the next property. And then I have four contiguous properties that I can literally graze all the way through up to the mountains, 10,000 feet elevation. And then in the fall, I can graze back through all of those properties contiguously without having to load the cows on a truck um, or anything. I can literally open a gate and let them flow down to the next property. But it wasn't by accident. It was, an, it was intentionality. And had I not secured that little lease in the middle, I would have to go out onto a very busy county road with 100 mother cows and their calves and all the bulls, come down that three and a half miles of county road, and then back into lower property. But you just have to put yourself out there. I mean, it was an opportunity that was there. It needed taken care of. And um, now it's beautiful. Property changed hand. So that's the thing about buying land in Colorado. This ranch that just changed hands sold for $16,000 an acre. So a guy came in, wrote a check for $8.5 million to buy this property so he would have a, a private family hunting property. 
And that's what we're dealing with more and more and more, especially where we're at in Western Colorado. So, but again, it was an opportunity. So I have an absentee landowner that as long as I keep the fences up and keep everything pretty and green, he's happy as a clam. He's going to save a hundred thousand dollars a year on in or a property tax. It's a win, win, win. Beef intelligence right there. Anyways, we've gone a little long right now. Um, Let's go ahead and take a break, stretch your legs and everything. And then when we come back, we're going to have a quick session. And uh, it's going to be basically, uh, how do you talk to a rancher about Bitcoin? Thank you. (laughs) 